All right, well, it's, it's been several weeks since we've been in, uh, well, we were in Isaiah last week with Matt's sermon on the servant songs, which uh, was just a uh, bountiful <laughs> feast in the Word. Um, but I thought it'd be good to, to catch up and review the outline of Isaiah. I'm going to try and preach through the major sections kind of in an overview way for the next few weeks. And then we're going to turn our attention to a few of the portions in the New Testament that rely heavily on Isaiah, quote Isaiah, and uh, just kind of look how the New Testament uses the book of Isaiah. Um, that's the plan. It could change at any moment. Uh, but that's sort of how I envision the next several weeks going. Um, I guess we have six or seven weeks left. Um, that's how I envision that time going. So in terms of reading through the book, um, you're kind of on your own now. We, we came to the end of our reading plan. Um, it's always good to read through. I think it's always good to read through books in their entirety, you know, as much as possible. You get a picture of the whole. Um, but also, I hope that certain sections of the book have really been speaking to you. And um, Isaiah in particular, is there, there, are, there are just chunks of it like a kind of a chapter or a, a, a series of a few chapters that really drive home a point in a way that, that no other book of the Bible does. So if any of those are sticking out to you, you know, hang out there. So it, it'll, it'll just sort of be um, up, to, up to you all to, uh, to determine how you, how you continue to interact uh, with this book as we go. Obviously, you're more than welcome to... Um, you know, I'm going to be preaching roughly through the, the major sections of the outline that I'm going to that we're going to review, and so it, it would be good to to read up. You know, for next week, for example, read uh, 13 through 27. Um, okay, so but the broad outline, in, in the broadest sense possible, chapters one through 39 deal with the judgment, the coming judgment on the people of God. And then chapters 40 through 66 deal with the coming hope and the comfort, salvation uh, that, is, that is being revealed. There's lots of different theories about why these two different sections are um, so distinct. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot, we're not going to get into that. I don't know if it's too important to really uh, get what God wants us to get from this book. But within each of those two larger sections... So within chapters 1 through 39, chapters 1 through 12 really lay out Judah and Jerusalem's situation at the current moment in history. Okay, there's the, it's kind of centered around that story of Ahaz. And um, Ahaz's reign really marked the beginning of the end for the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had already experienced the beginning of the end earlier, and they, their exile was imminent at that point. Southern... Uh, so the southern kingdom of Judah. And so the northern kingdom, that's Israel. It's also called Ephraim. It's also called Samaria. Okay, so those are kind of interchangeable terms for that northern kingdom. Their judgment is imminent. Uh, and so Isaiah's ministry is really saying, hey, look at the north and don't go that same direction. That's what a lot of the, the, the prophecies deal with. There's also prophecies uh, within uh, that about Assyria who God was using to punish the north. Um, 
So 1 through 12, 13 through 27, then the prophecies turn toward the nations surrounding Israel. And God begins to declare, or Isaiah begins to declare the oracles of God to Babylon, to Tyre, to Syria, to all these different nations and peoples around uh, Jerusalem. And you get more of the universal scope of God's hand in history. Okay, He's not just dealing with one nation. He's dealing with all the nations. Now, he's doing it through one nation, primarily. But he is ultimately after every nation, right? That was in the promise to Abraham. I'm going to bless you, and through you, I'm going to bless all nations. Through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And so what God's word is to each of those nations is really clearly spelled out in 13 through 27. Chapters 28 through 35... Uh, the best way to kind of lump it all together would be man's ways versus God's ways. Man's ways versus God's ways. There's a sequence in there that talks about the city of God versus the city of man. Um, there's the, the great passage where he talks about woe to those who go down to Egypt for help. You know, who is your help? But ultimately, it's lumped together under man's ways versus God's ways. And it's centered again on Jerusalem and Judah, that southern kingdom. Chapters 36 through 39 are another historical narrative at the end of that first section of Isaiah. So the, and this one is, deals with Hezekiah, King Hezekiah. The first one deals with Ahaz. The last one deals with Hezekiah. That brings us to chapter 40. And there's a number of, of, of ways to break down 40 through 66. But you could just break it down into two sections. 40 through 54 are comfort and its cost. Remember, that section is um, where we get the, many of the servant songs that, that Matt uh, preached last week. Isaiah 53 is the, is the ultimate suffering servant chapter. So there's comfort coming and there's redemption, but it, it comes at a cost. And it comes at the obedience of the servant. And he, he takes on the sins of the people. And then 55 through 66 are really a hopeful vision of the future. Which also, there's, there's still judgment to, you know, there's still judgment coming. But it's a, it's a vision of ultimately the new heavens and the new earth. Where is this all headed? The fancy word for that is eschatology. The, the end times. Um, the summation of all things. The, the, the culmination of human history. So, tonight, I just want to finish up uh, this chapters uh, 1 through 12. So, the last time I think we talked about, well, the last time we talked about, uh, it was Palm Sunday. And so I went to the New Testament and we talked about the triumphal entry and how um, really those first days of Holy Week in the way that they're told in all of the Gospels are just soaked in Isaiah, uh, the imagery in Isaiah. But before that, we talked about King Ahaz and it's, it's the story of King Ahaz that really drives the word to the people of God in chapters 7 through 12. And so I want to start I just want to read uh, chapter 10 verse 33 and 34. This kind of this kind of describes the situation. And then I'm going to pray and then uh, say a few things about this section. Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the boughs with terrifying power. 
The great in height will be hewn down, and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you just open uh, this section of the word to us tonight, that you'd fill our hearts with hope, that you'd fill our hearts with the knowledge of you. In Jesus' name, amen. One thing that you see in chapter 7 through 12, there are, I count, four very clear signs of the Messiah. Okay? These are very famous prophecies of the, of the Messiah. The first one is in chapter 7, verse 14. And this is when um, Isaiah is telling of the story of, of Ahaz. Right after, a, right after God says, hey, Ahaz... You don't trust me. You clearly don't trust me. You remember this? Ahaz and trust issues. You clearly don't trust me. You, you name the sign and I'll do it. Remember that? You name the sign and I'll do it. Make it as high as heaven or as low as earth. And he says, I'm not going to ask. And we, we, we talked about that. But that's when God responds. Okay, I'm going to give you a sign. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And then a number of other times, very close to this, mentions Emmanuel, or God with us. And he shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Okay, so there's a prophecy of all right, you're not going to ask for a sign. I'm going to give you a sign, and it's going to be this child. And he's going to eat curds and honey, which some people, you know, you read that first and you go, oh, like the land of milk and honey. But that's not what it was. Curds and honey would have been a sign of uh, desolation. That this is, we are, we're, having, we're just living off of the land. Okay, We're living off of uh, curds of milk and honey. There's no... There's no fruitfulness. And so what it's saying is this child is going to come at a time when there's not wealth. Okay? When, when, when judgment has been, has been issued. And he goes on, he says, the boy is going to come of age, or before he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, he's going to be a, a young child at a time when the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Okay. So this is a, this is a prophecy that's not, it's not immediate. It's for a time in the, into the future. Okay. So that's one. Um, the next one is in chapter 9. And I want to see, so he will eat curds and honey. The child's coming at a time when, hey, those two superpowers that you fear, that's going to be totally gone. No one's going to really remember Pekah, the son of Hermalia, and, and the king of Syria. Okay, chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. 
But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And you remember, this is part of Matthew's gospel when he's uh, telling where Jesus was born, right? He's, He's a Galilean. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. So there's another prophecy that the New Testament tells us was referring to Jesus and the coming of the Messiah. And again, it's going to, he, the, the prophecy is that it's going to get dark, and into that darkness, this child's going to come, this man is going to come, and it's going to be a great light. So just like in that first prophecy, he's going to be a child, but he's going to come of age in a land that, at a time when the land whose kings you fear will be deserted. And then just a, a little bit down in verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And we read that at Christmas a lot. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So this child is going to be all of these titles that are given to God. Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. Okay? And then in chapter 11, and this is the other great messianic sign. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. All right, this is Jesse, right, was the father of David. So this is in David's line. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit. There's been a lot of talk already in the book of Isaiah about fruit. Remember, the vineyard bore bad fruit. Okay, This one, he will actually bear fruit. It'll just be a little shoot, but it'll be a fruitful shoot. It'll be small, right? A shoot is nothing, right? There's there's great forests, and it talks about the cedars of Lebanon, and everything's going to be hewn down, right? The Lord God of hosts will lop the boughs with terrifying power. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe. And then there's going to be this little shoot. But it's going to be fruitful. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Right? Not just in a flash, but descend and remain. Remember John's Gospel that says, The one that you see, the one on which you see the Spirit descend and remain, that's the one. And this is, uh, this is what Isaiah is referring to. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. In other words, he's not going to be uh, a 21st century person on social media. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody has a truth. Everybody has a narrative. Everybody has a spin. All right? And this person will not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. 
I saw on Fox News and I heard on CNN and I saw on my Twitter. And this is how I'm judging all things. Thank goodness this, this Messiah doesn't judge that way. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. It's the word of God going forth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And then it gives this wonderful picture of life under the rule of this shoot of the stump of Jesse. The wolf shall dwell down with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. So this is hunter and hunted, right? Powerful and prey. There's not going to be that dynamic anymore. The calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze and their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. How's that for some... Um, that's, I mean, that takes some faith, right? Get out the snakes and get the kids out and send them to play together. In other words, it's, it's nothing like the way life even in the, in the natural goes, right? We're not just talking about sin. We're talking about even the way that creation now exists is going to be transformed. Okay? I shall not hurt or destroy in all my earth, my, uh, in all my holy mountain, for the, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire. This, again, gets back to Isaiah 2, where all the nations come to the mountain of the house of the Lord to seek him. How, how do we live life? The God of Israel knows. Let's go inquire of him. All right, so there's, there's four messianic signs given in this section as a response, really, to this lack of trust on Ahaz's, Ahaz's part. Okay, God is still responding to the one who's on the throne in Israel now. Is not... does not have the spirit of the Lord, does not have a spirit of wisdom or understanding, does not have counsel and might, does not have a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, does not delight in the fear of the Lord, right? This is in, in total opposition to what's currently on the throne. And Isaiah is saying, a time is coming when there is going to be a man on the throne. And this is, this is yet to come. But there will be a man on the throne who's going to bring who's going to bring order in the way that it it was always meant to be. Who's going to restore the whole earth, right? From from all the peoples down to to the livestock. Going to restore it to the way that it was always meant to be. And I hope that you can read this section and just be full of hope, right? This is what we're headed toward. 
This is the vision of what will be. Right? We know the end. This is a vision for what will be. The wolf shall, lie, uh, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Right? There will be no fear of, of predators. What a, what a, what a wonderful uh, image and a wonderful uh, source of hope. But the, but the point here is that Israel is currently failing and they're headed toward judgment. And the prophecies that God is giving are, is this. It's going to get really bad. It's going to get really bad. But no amount of that bad is able to undo what I am going to do. No amount of, you could say, darkness can overcome the light that is going to spring forth at that time. No amount of death can overcome the life that will spring forth at that time. But everything's going to be leveled first. Okay? At the end of chapter 11, he says, There will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people, as there was for Israel when they came up out of the land of Egypt. What does that imply? You're about to go into exile. And it's going to be like Israel when they were in bondage in Egypt. Right? That's as low as it gets. Slavery. You don't have your own land. You don't have your own rights. You are subject to a king who's far more powerful than you. And into that land, into that situation, God is going to send help. Send the Messiah. Send a deliverer. And he says it's going to be just like the Exodus. And then chapter 12 is beautiful. Because it's just straight out of Exodus 15, which is the song of Miriam. They come through the sea and they say, praise the Lord. He has become our salvation. He has delivered us. And the horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. Remember, you will say in that day, chapter 12, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation which is very close to the definition of Isaiah's name. God saves. God is salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. Finally, in that day, after what I see the devastation, after I see the devastation that takes place from a lack of trust, after I see what God has to do with with a people that refuse to trust him, in that day, I'll trust For the Lord God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, this is straight from Exodus 15. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great In your midst 
is the Holy One of Israel. We're a long way from Ahaz. It's a long road from Ahaz to what's being described here. But as is often the case, we have the advantage of looking back. This song in chapter 12, that's the perennial song of the people of God. It's not just the song of the Exodus. It's not just the song of the return from exile. It's the song of anyone that God has redeemed. Because this is what happens. It's what happened to Israel, but this is what happens. We go astray. We don't trust God. We find ourselves in bondage. We find ourselves in darkness. And it's our own sins that have cut ourselves off from God. And into that situation, as dark as we make it, he sends a light. He sends a savior. And we are delivered from the bondage of sin. And this is the song that fills our mouth. So this is a new exodus that's being proclaimed even before the bondage happens. Okay? Exile is coming. It's going to happen. But in that day, he's going to bring you back because that's what he does and that's who he is. And you will be saved and you will rejoice. So this is an exodus that's being uh, predicted. Just like God told Abraham all those years before they went into Egypt, you're going to go down into a nation and you're going to serve in a land that's not yours. And after 400 years, I will bring you out. Do you see how in control God is? He works with his people and he knows how it's done. What happened in Exodus? What were the last two plagues? Right? This was the kind of the birth pangs of God bringing them out. And Pharaoh kept coming back and they kept coming out and then back. And no, you, yes, you can go. And no, you can't. And God keep, kept sending judgment on the people that were oppressing his people. And the last two plagues, the, first, the, the, the second to last one was darkness. Darkness over all the land. And the very last plague was death. The angel of death came. These are the two plagues that we see written that God has prepared for his people. But it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the part of his people that won't trust him. It's the part that he needs to judge. He is bringing plagues, particularly darkness. Listen. Darkness and death. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upwards. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. But that's when he says, but into that darkness, he says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. On them has light shined. So Isaiah here, and really in the whole book, but especially here, the message is God will triumph over the pride of men. Everything that's exalted against his reign, God will triumph over. He will, he will cut it down. That's what judgment is for. Cutting down, bringing low the pride of man. 
so that the true life of God can come forth from his people. Okay? God knows what he's after. God has promised his people that they will be a blessing to the whole earth. At this point in Israel's history, their blessing, God's righteousness is so suppressed in their unrighteousness, as Paul would say in Romans 1, they've become something so entirely different than what God intended them for, to be, that he has to, like we said, lop the boughs with terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down. So much has been built that is not God, that needs to go in order for true life to come forth. So the promise was that Israel to be called, was to be called blessed, to bring blessing into the earth. They are now at the point where that blessing that God wanted to bring forth into the earth has been so suppressed, so covered over, so grown over with injustice and unrighteousness. God has no other choice than to bring unimaginable destruction. And he's saying, it's getting really, you're going to be totally taken out of here. And yet, it's still a message of hope. In all of these different moments, and we've seen this over and over again, in all of these different proclamations of judgment, this light keeps popping forth, and this life keeps popping out. And it just reminds me, I was thinking about this. Springtime is a great time. There's all this growth, all this light, and warmth. Okay, and, But I was thinking, it's also a time of, of destruction. Right? When the new life starts to emerge, there's a lot of old life to get rid of. Right? I mean, the mowers, the loppers are out and the chainsaws, and we've got to clear away the dead. Right? Why? Because life is coming out. And if you leave the dead stuff around, that life is not going to be able to emerge. This is what's happening with the people of God at this point. So spring is a, is a hopeful time. In a way, but it's not very hopeful for all those weeds and those leaves that have been hanging around for the winter. Right? And that's what God is going after in judgment here in the, in the book of Isaiah. And so what about us? This is, this is not just a, a way that God works way back then. This is the way that God works continually in his people, Right? Dead stuff starts to amass in our lives. Stuff that, does, that like in the parable of the sower, there are thorns, right? There are weeds. And God comes to prune those things away. And he has to maybe lop some big boughs. But it's, it's at this point that we ought to rejoice, Right? Because what's about to happen? Well, the forest is being cleared. But then that little shoot is going to come up. It means that new life, new light is about to pierce the darkness. And we're about to be able to sing chapter 12. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. Though you were angry with me, though you got out the loppers and went to town... Your anger turned away that you might comfort me. 
Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. Where do you trust? Well, you trust him more than you trust the worldly powers, but you also trust the process that he, that he enacts in our lives. You trust that the loppers are causing life to come forth in greater measures. So, that was what was on my heart. This is a season of great hope. There's a lot of great things going on. But I would also imagine that for many of you, God has started to hack away at some things that have needed to to be cleared out for a little while. And it's really easy to begin to despair at that process. Um, But I just want to encourage you to, to, to instead to hope and to rejoice in that day. And to give thanks to the Lord. For he, right, he is triumphing gloriously. Praise God that he is getting rid of those things that don't glorify him in my life. Right? It's just a funny thing when we, when we begin to undergo restoration and, and pruning. We get all down on ourselves. That's not at all what we should, uh, the way that we should react to God's hand in our life in that way. So we have this kind of, um, we have this power and we have these promises and we have this awareness of the way that God does things in every area of our life. Okay? We have it in our families. Okay? God will, God will come. I mean, we, we pray for God. I pray that you uh, be with our family. Help us to grow into your image. You know, bless our household. God will come down and he'll look around and he'll say, Man, there's some stuff that needs to be cleared out. There's a lot of life that needs to come forth from this family. There's a lot of life that needs to come forth from these children. But there's a lot I need to clear away. So let's get the loppers out. Let's go through this. And then let's see life and light begin to shine forth. Um, in our relationships, he does this. In our workplaces, he does this. Right? He will often start with clearing out the dead. And, and pulling up the weeds. But all of that is a preparation for life and light uh, to come forth. Amen? So that's what's happening here, chapter 7 through 12. Ahaz is in a bad spot. And God says, there's a lot of pruning <laughs> we're going to have to do. In fact, we just have to get out the bush hog and just take it all down. But in, in that desolate landscape... You're going to look and you're going to see this little shoot coming forth and it's going to be bearing fruit. And then that shoot's going to grow and it's going to put down roots. And that's going to be finally the way that I uh, fill the earth with all the knowledge of God. So it comes from that shoot, that one branch. And for us, we know that's Jesus, right? God did clear it all away. God did hew it all down. And God placed on him the chastisement that Israel deserved. And he, in Romans, he condemned sin in the flesh in Jesus. He heaped it all on Jesus and cut it all down. And then life came forth. And he rose from the grave. Amen? And now we stand following this one that the Spirit of the Lord rests on. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. 
And he leads us into establishing this way of life. That's a way of peace where the wolf and the lamb shall dwell together. So I want to encourage you um, to let God do his work in your life. And to, to, to look ahead. I mean, there might be a lot of work. I, mean, I know in my life, God's not nearly done with me. And it's the same for all of us. There's a lot of work he needs to do in our lives. But I'm thankful that he does that. And I'm thankful that he continues uh, to work and move. And I want us to, to focus on where the light and the life break forth. And they're always found in a desolate place. Um, and so as we continue to read through here, next week we're going to talk about the, the judgments on the nations around Israel. Um, God is so in control. And he knows what he's doing. And if you, will, if you will see it, God can turn every situation. He can redeem every single situation into an opportunity for you to grow. If you, if you receive it that way. Right? Every challenge, it doesn't matter whose fault it was or why you're in whatever challenge that you're in. God can and he does and wants to and will. It says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will Turn whatever, every single situation in your life into an opportunity to clear out the dead and see life come forth. Okay? And so we need to walk in that, in that um, joy. Right? That's what it says. I will give you thanks. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Because he has made everything desolate and brought forth only that which brings fruit. All right? So we can focus on the judgment. We can focus on the, oh, I'm just, I'm such a project, you know. God's been working on me a long time, you know. Or we can say, thank goodness. He's continuing to clear out the stuff that that doesn't bring forth fruit. And he is getting glory from my life and filling the earth with the blessing of God through my life. Amen? Um, so I, I, would, I would like you to think about particular situations in your life that you can bring that mindset to. And I don't know, it's, it's different for everyone here. Uh, but there's a, there, there, I, I'm certain that if you think long and hard enough, you can find a situation or a challenge or a relationship or, or whatever where God's been trying to say, just trust me. I'm going to use this thing to really kill you. <laughs> to really prune you. And just, just watch how life can come forth after I, after I can really do, you know, work that process. Okay? And it changes your whole mindset. Right? You don't judge according to what your eyes see or what your ears hear. Right? How often do we do that in the situations of our lives? Oh, this feels bad, so it must be bad. That's not how we walk. 
This feels bad. I wonder what God's up to. <laughs> and that'll, that'll change the way that you live and the way that you approach all of life. All right, let's pray. Father, I pray that you would send the truth of the Messiah into our hearts. Lord, that, that we are your people. And that we, uh, Lord, though you work continually to, to till the dirt, to weed the soil, to prune the branches. Lord, we eagerly await uh, the revealing of, the, of, of Jesus, the appearing of Jesus in our lives. Lord, as you clear the ground and as you make space and as you clear out all of our uh, stupidity, Lord, all of our uh, unrighteous ways, Lord, as you clear those out, Father, I pray that, that our hope would be set fully on the appearing of Jesus in our lives. Lord, his very life coming forth where it was just us, where it was confused, where it was convoluted, where it was full of conflicts of interest, Lord, between ourselves and between what we think we should be and what might please you and what this person expects of us. Lord, clear all of that out and let, our, and let your life, the one that's, with, that's full of the spirit of wisdom and justice and uh, righteousness, God, let that life come forth from your people. We thank you for that, Lord. Continue to, to guide us through uh, your word the book of Isaiah. Lord, speak to us what we need to hear as individuals, as a body. And uh, go with us, Lord, as we, uh, as we depart from here. Lord, I pray that our days this week would be blessed, that our eyes would be open to the ways that you are working, that your zeal is directed at our lives uh, to beautify your temple. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.